Okay, today we begin a new little mini-series. Thank you, by the way, for all the uh, appreciation you've shown for the city. If you've missed any of it, of course, it is on the podcast and on the videocast, and you can catch up with that. And I think that's been an important series. They're always important, but that's been important for us because it kind of puts what we're doing here in a context of a vision, having a vision for the city. And as you recall, we've defined the city as play anywhere where there is density and diversity. So you live in Boreham Wood or you live in Aylesbury or people come from all over the place for this church. Wherever you're living, wherever there is density and diversity of population, you know, God calls that his city. That's where God is building community. And so what we're doing here is, is part of that. This series is somewhat provocatively called Winners and Losers. And I suppose you could call it the series that will take us, and because it is actually, that's why you could call it that, it's the series that takes us up to Easter. And uh, uh, we thought we might use this title because, to be honest with you, the Englishman in me, the Englishman in me uh, doesn't like that kind of language in church. I don't want anybody to be, uh, you know, laboring under a sense of being a loser, but in uh, in the world, of course, that's prevalent. Actually, uh, you know, we have American family, and, and they're really passionate about competitiveness. And I've actually heard, and I still find it shocking to this day, I've heard people say, yeah, second is first loser. <laughs> that's brutal, isn't it? You know, you just bust a gut, and you're the first loser. I mean, grief, you know. You know, the, the British mentality is, is, is to kind of play that down. It, you know, it's uh, Henry Newbolt's great poem, play up, play up, and play the game, you know. And, and it's, you know, it's sportsmanship and gentlemanless, uh, gentlemanlessness, something like that. Anyway, it, it, that's how we're trained. So the whole concept of winners and losers is, is a difficult one, but it does... It is worth saying, and I'm sorry to shock if it does shock your sensibilities, that on the great judgment day when Jesus comes back, there will be winners and losers. There will be winners and losers. But the reality is that God has opened up a way for us. During our prayer meeting this week, which was great, by the way, there were a number of prophetic words, but I personally was very struck by a sense that God is open for business. God is not in some far distant land doing great things with great people and letting us get on with it. God is here. God is in the house and God is open for business. And I was taken back to the very first meeting I went to when I was seeking God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I'd become a Christian, but I was living in a powerless state. I was living in a place where, uh, you know, I, I couldn't overcome my own stuff, my own sin. I didn't seem to be able to do that. And I certainly couldn't, you know, pray for the sick or share my faith. I was paralyzed by ineffectiveness and fear. And I was seeking a thing that we talk about from time to time. I think we talk about it in, in our equipping things and in our home groups. I was seeking what, what has become known over the years as baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I was taken back to that meeting that I went to in what was called the Revival Center in North Allerton, North Yorkshire. Only never been there before, but I went there. And the preacher there preached a message called the mercy seat. And that, during that prayer meeting this week, I was taken back to that moment. And at that time, in that, that little sort of tin hut hall, and that's what it was, not being rude, it was a tin hut kind of little religious revival hall, the preacher there preached this awesome message about the mercy seat. And he said, God is open for business. 
and the mercy seat, a way has been made to the mercy seat. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever your background, whatever your history, whatever shame you still carry with you, whatever burdens, to use John Bunyan's picture, you're still carrying on your shoulders, the way to the mercy seat is open. It's open. And you know, as you look at kind of the history of revival, of course, that's always true. Theologically, the mercy seat is always open. But there do seem to be seasons where for whatever reason, God only knows, we'll have to ask him about it when we get to glory, but for what, some reason, there is a, an overriding impression that God is open for business, that the mercy seat is open. And you can come to this place today, and whatever else you might need, you may not even know at this moment that you need mercy, but you can come to this place and receive mercy from God. God is merciful. And I want to applaud him for that. Thank God. So when it comes to winners and losers, who are the winners going to be? Who's, who are the losers going to be? And am I going to be a winner and I'm gonna, or am I going to be a loser on that great day? This is a compelling question. I want to settle that one, don't you? I want to settle it. I want to make sure I'm on the winning side. You know, I remember when I was a kid, many of you will have had this experience, you know, uh, sometimes at school, you know, we'd be, go out in our, to, to play uh, sports, you know, football or something, or even in just the playground during our playtime area, and we'd get into teams, and there'd be two captains chosen. And then we'd all line up. The two captains would go there, and they would choose in turn. And if you were sort of at the end of the row, you know, the, the unfortunately fat boy, or the great gangly guy who had no coordination whatsoever, There'd always be the, oh, Thompson, oh, come on then. And there was this kind of sense of, do you remember, does anybody know the kind of thing I'm talking about? Where you it was okay for the first one. Yeah, Arrowsmith will have you, bro. And they always had fantastic names, you know. It was only the people at the end of it that had names like Blimp, you know, stuff like that, you know. No sort of four-star football player was ever called Blimp, you know. But anyway, so... Oh dear, I'm losing it. <laughs> yeah. The truth of the matter is, that, that is that, that's quite a, a difficult thing to go through. Will I be chosen? Will I be chosen? I know a lot of parents, a lot of parents put their children under pressure. You know, to be honest with you, I have to, I have to say that I was one of those parents. In fact, with Sam, my son, he was a, a great sportsman, but I remember when he was about seven or eight and we were living in the States, in, in California, somewhat unusually, they played soccer. And he loved soccer. And I was one of those dads on the sideline over there who was really roaring. You know, I didn't shut up for 90 minutes. You know, I was hoarse. And I can remember at a final, and uh, Sam had just done astoundingly well. He was their sort of star uh, scorer. And we were not doing too well. And I can remember being on the sideline going, Go on, Sam, push on through, push on through. And he was eight. <laughs> push on through, never mind about him, push on through. And halfway through the first half, he came over to me when he was walking, came over to me and he was on the edge of tears and said, Dad, will you please just shut up? <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Just shut up. So I toned it down a bit. Push on through. Push on through. A lot of pressure to compete. 
And there's something about competitiveness, you know. Sam was always very competitive anyway. It's not something you had to breed into people. Either you are or you aren't, many people are. And there is something to be said about sports and athletics and all the rest of it, particularly when it teaches us self-discipline and we overcome our fears and stuff like that. That is, that is a value that we wanna sow into our kids. That's something that we wanna encourage them to do. Not to kind of crush the other person, but just to overcome their own fears and anxieties. In fact, I've got a lovely little film clip here which I want to show you. Some of you may have seen it, but let's just, this is just such a great example of somebody overcoming their fears. And that's going to stand them in good stead for life. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. I wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have got up me up there for hello, high world. God bless her. But that's what a great. What a great moment for that young woman, that little eight-year-old girl. You know, she'll never be the same again. She overcame her own stuff. She overcame her own fear. And that kind of stuff, being able to deal with fear, actually is a great lesson to learn. It really is. You know, you too, in one of their songs, coined the phrase, little line, this is, everybody loves a winner. Everybody loves a winner but when you lose, you lose alone. And that's true. I've found that even in my field, that when you're succeeding, everybody wants to kind of be a best mate and pick your brain and come and see you, but when you're going through it, suddenly it's a pretty lonely place. This whole winning and losing thing is very transitory. And it is a bit of an obsession with our culture, particularly in the West. And it is something you find in the church. It's something you find in the church. You know, we spent years in obscurity as a church, as a fellowship, but when things started happening, suddenly everybody wanted to be our mate. It was kind of interesting. But such is, such is life. Such is life. Anyway, that being the case, and Scripture does engage with this. Scripture understands this. Some of you will have already thought about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Where, where he talks about us, you know, uh, running the race to win, not just to participate, but to win, to win the prize, to go for it, run the race. And there's something to be said about, you know, giving ourselves the best of ourselves to discipleship. There's another reference in Hebrews chapter 12. In fact, let's just throw that up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses uh, 1 to 2, I believe. Let's just say that, see this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Thank you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, on that Good Friday when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was, was crucified, his enemies would probably have thought to themselves, what a loser. What a loser. And yet the truth of the matter was that actually on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. What a winner. What a victor. What a savior. That imagery there in Hebrews, you understand, of course, cloud of witnesses, 
That's the sense of the arena. We're told that in the Roman arenas, places like the Colosseum and elsewhere, it was as if the, it was as if the sky sort of came up over you and there were people all around. That's the imagery, the arena. You know, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. This is how we work out our Christian life. This great, this great company of those who are cheering us on. And he says, Jesus set his sight, not on the winning tape or the line or whatever or the checkered flag. He set his sights beyond the cross for the joy that was set before him. He didn't get fixated on the, the pain that was gonna, he was going to have to endure as he ran that, ran that marathon. He saw beyond that. And the writer to the Hebrews encourages us to do the same. So God is not looking for winners in the sense the world understands us. God is not looking for winners like that. He encourages us as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters to exert ourselves, but he's not looking for winners per se. In fact, he chooses us just like that playground choosing, he chooses us using a completely different criteria. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So if God is choosing and not using our criteria of you know, masculine you know, strength, feminine tenacity and all this kind of stuff. If God is choosing, what is God looking for? If we want to end up winners, what is God looking for? Be a good question to resolve, wouldn't it? What is God looking for? Well, turn with me if you will. It'll come up on the screen to Luke chapter one. And uh, we'll read the story of Mary's response to a visitation by an angel. Now, we looked at this. In fact, Wendy Housen uh, preached just before Christmas on this and did a great job. In fact, Wendy's going to be up preaching again in a couple of weeks' time, looking at Romans 8, 10, I think, or 9 or something. That's going to be great. Somewhere in the Bible, I think. <laughs> Many of you will know this story. In fact, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will be aware of this story. And uh, we Christians believe that an angel came and visited Mary. And you have to understand, as Wendy pointed out back at Christmas, that she was probably 13 or 14. She was not, she was not a mature lady. Marie, Mary was, was, was 13 or 14. And basically, the angel announces to her that she's going to become pregnant, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, a divine intervention. And if God is God, why shouldn't he intervene divinely? Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. And so Mary hears this news, and unlike Zechariah, and this was Wendy's point, who was a mature follower, a mature priest, who actually did not believe what the angel said to him, she actually took the angel at face value. And why wouldn't you if you saw an angel? Why wouldn't you? And her response, even though this would make her a big loser in her, in her community, her little village, 
teenage girl in that culture, that society, falling pregnant, father unknown, some half-baked story about it being God. Oh, yes. What seemed to be panning out for her in that instant was a life of ignominy and, and separation, a loser. But her response demonstrates her heart. Her response demonstrates her heart. And we're going to read that. Verse 46 in chapter 1 of Luke's gospel. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Can you believe it? Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, to have a reverent awe of him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Oh, yes, some people can put on a good show, but they're proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich is sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, God is looking for a different kind of winner. Somebody who does not feel the need to trample on others, to put other people down. Somebody who is not so insecure in who they are that they have to benefit and progress at the expense of others. Psalm 51 puts it beautifully. Let's throw that up on the screen. Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. Thank you. Let's just shove that up. Thank you. It says this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. God does not take pleasure in overt demonstrations of pious religiosity. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You see, when you get in touch with that, when you begin to allow yourself to, to feel your weakness and vulnerability, when you begin to get in touch with the fact that actually you're not doing as well or you're not as good as you'd like others to believe, you begin to get into a touch with a deep and profound need the need for mercy. Where can I find mercy? If this is true of me, if this is the real scaredy cat me deep inside that I don't want others to see, who will deal with that? That's why when I say the mercy seat is open, the way to the mercy seat is open, that's good news. That's why whether you're successful in your career, whether you're riding the top of the world and for other reasons, you've got the girl, you've got the house, you've got the car, 
God bless you, enjoy. These are blessings from God. But when you look deep within yourself and acknowledge the fact that you need mercy, well, you found a savior. That's when this gospel begins to make sense. And that's why this humble 13-year-old can say, oh God, you've done great things for me. You've honored me. You've given me a place and a position, something that I did not deserve. And so we come to the mercy seat. And it's in, in that place that God takes Losers and makes us winners. If that's the way in, by humbling myself before God, I want to be the first in the rush. Because we can all do that. You, some of you will never be a great footballer. Sorry. Some of you may. Some of you will never be. Some of you will never be able to do a 60-foot ski jump. I won't. Some of you will never make a mint and retire early. Some of you will never get the girl or get the man that you thought you wanted. That's not to mean to say that we should give up, but the reality is those are the values that the world puts on success. That's what the world says is a winner. And the church buys into it, we do. Uh, you know, we buy into it. I buy into it. I need to remind myself that's not what God is looking for. He doesn't despise it. He's indifferent to it. Sometimes he gives it to his kids because he loves them and he knows it'll bless them. But that's the wrong question, winner or loser. The question is this, will you humble yourself before almighty God? And that's why this gospel is so elegant. Because anyone can do that. If you're not trying to be something, but if you're willing to just humble yourself, then you become a winner. God raises you up. Philippians 2 says, Christ himself humbled himself unto death on the cross. That's the way in. It's an upside down world, isn't it? Not based on God's choice because we're clever or smart or good looking or got the, got the job or whatever, but because God sees in us a humble and contrite heart. That's the way in. That's the glorious thing. In just a moment, in fact, let's have the band back up. I want to do a little bit of ministry just before we finish. What I'd like to do is, because in, in our pastoral work, very often we find that words spoken over people, sometimes years ago, sometimes in the, pro, in, in the playground, still against all will and, and all expectations, still define us today. People have spoken over negative words. You'll never amount to anything. You're a fool. Stop mucking around. 
These things stick to us, particularly as, as children, eight-year-olds. You'll never be as good as your sister. Why can't you be like your brother? These things are set over us. And they begin to define us. And we, we struggle with that. Because something deep within us says, that isn't fair and that ain't true. But because it was spoken over us by somebody with some measure of authority or somebody we respected. As adults, it can be different things. You miss, a, you miss out on a, a promotion. You pluck up the courage to go and speak to your line manager, your boss, and he or she says to you, well, you know, you're, you're a great and valued worker. We, we, you, know, you, you make a fantastic contribution to the team. I don't know how to say this, but you're just not up to it. You're just not up to it. You're just not up to it. These words become curses in our lives. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. I know a guy who was, who was told by a priest at, 70, at seven years of age when he let off. Actually, he didn't let off. It's another story. But when he was accused of letting off a fire extinguisher, the priest said to him, you are damned and will go to hell. A priest said that to the boy. It's true. These things need to be broken off us because they affect the way we do life. They affect the way we do life. And the good news is this, that the mercy seat is here. You can walk free of that, free to then make a decision as to whether you'll humble yourself before Christ and become one of his winners. You may not shine in this life, but that doesn't matter. It's how you will shine on the great day that does matter. When you're clothed in clothes of righteousness, when God is pleased to call you son, when Jesus is not embarrassed by you and calls you daughter, when the Holy Spirit, who pervades every aspect of our life even now, affirms his presence in us. So I just love you to all close your eyes. I'm going to ask some of you to stand in your seat in just a moment, but just close our eyes now. And as I've been speaking, if something I've been saying in, this, in, in, in describing this curse, let's call it that, resonates with you, just raise your hand where you are now. There you go. Forest of hands. Happens every time. These were words spoken by the enemy to diminish you in some way. I just ask you now, if you'd be so bold, and it takes a little courage, you're at the head of a ski slope. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Just stand up where you are, and then I'm going to speak a word of command over you, and maybe we'll even pray for you. Just stand up where you are. If you are owning that an experience, something came to mind. It wasn't exactly what I described, but yeah, you know what I'm talking about. A word was spoken over you, and it's, it kind of brutalized you. It went a little deeper than it should have done, and you carry it even now. As I look around the room, there's young people and old people and people who are, you know, maturing, progressing. 
and they've been carrying things. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you minister each and every one of these folk? Lord, you were in that moment. You winced. They winced, but you winced when that word was spoken over them. And I thank you, Lord God, that you draw close today. You lean forward from the mercy seat. And you say to them, don't worry, I choose you. You did not choose me, I chose you. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit leans forward. Jesus says he leans forward up there on the balcony, down here on the, the floor of the auditorium. Jesus leans forward and says, I choose you. I choose you. And now I break off you every word, everything that has been spoken that would diminish you and hinder you. I break it off you in the name of Jesus. I break it off you. Thank you, Lord God. Now, folks, we've got a couple of minutes here. I can only spend a couple of minutes. If you're not standing, would you mind, please, just helping us here? If you're sitting, would you look around? If somebody stood near you, would you just place a hand on your shoulder, pray in tongues? I don't want great big, great big epistles of prayer here. This is a holy moment. I don't want verbiosity. We just want sensitivity here. Just pray for these folk around you. And just repeat what I just said, which was we break off you in Jesus' name, the curse that's been spoken to you and over you. Just do it now in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Is there somebody who could pray for this lady here? Would you mind just standing there and putting your hand on this lady's shoulder? Thank you. And up there on the balcony, folks, would, um, there's a lady standing there. Would somebody come down and just place a hand on that lady's shoulder? I don't want anybody... If you put your hand up and nobody has got a, a hand on your shoulder, would you please just uh, do that? Kids, would you mind praying for that gentleman stood there? Just a hand on the shoulder. That's, I, you may not feel that you're a great prayer or anything. No matter. It's God's business. It's, it's not about us. It's God's business. Now, Father, we want to in the laying on of hands here, affirm these men and women as our brothers, our sisters, our family. We want to say, Lord God, that we acknowledge your choice of them. We say thank you, Lord, for turning losers into winners this day. And if there be anything in us that would hinder us because of pride or shame from coming to the mercy seat, Lord, forgive us and give us the courage. Give, the courage. give us the courage of an eight-year-old at the top of a ski slope to seek your face and to ask for mercy. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And everyone said, Amen. There's only one thing left to do, really, and that's worship. Thank you, son. <laughs>